Now, over the years, I have had this discussion with many people many times, and that is how strange and how not so strange it is that the more mature you become as a Christian, the less worthy you feel. It seems strange because the closer you become to Christ, the closer you come to Christ, the more of his character rubs off on you. But it's no... It's not, it, 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 it's not so strange because the closer you get to the real beauty of Christ, it's more obvious and more uglier you see how your sin appears. And you may sweep a hall or you may sweep a room and you may feel good about all the dirt that's been cleared up and cleared away and then suddenly you move into a beam of light coming down through the window and you see the true situation, don't you? The air is full of dust. So we who are Christ followers are destined for now to live with the mingling of joy and remorse. Paul says, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, we really are being changed from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. But it is precisely in the light that we see with greatest clarity the remaining evil within our hearts. We rejoice to know Christ and to experience his dazzling fellowship and mercy, but we also grieve over our continual failures to walk exactly in his footsteps. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's greatest theologians, he had great sensitivity for the real experience of the Christ follower. And he said these words, The desire of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope is a humble hope. And their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is a humble, broken-hearted joy. Leaving the Christian more poor in spirit, more like a child and more disposed to a universal lowliness of behaviour. Today we conclude our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So I have to ask myself, what should I look for in the people as evidence that the word is bearing fruit? Now Jonathan Edwards warns me against looking for perfection. He also warns me against looking for people who are proud in their growth, people who speak highly of their spiritual attainments. He warns me against people whose joy in the grace of God is not deepened by a continual remorse because of their failures to walk by the Spirit. So what shall I look for and see if the message of Galatians has been has begun to take root in our hearts? It's a good question to ask ourselves this morning. So let's try and answer that question in this final um, sermon on the letter to the Galatians. And to do that, let's look together at the last verse of Paul's letter to the Galatians as he develops a contrast between two mindsets. The first, he has uh, been trying to drive out of the Galatian church. That first mindset, the whole letter, he's trying to drive this mindset out of the Galatian church. The second 
is one he's seeking to live and teach. Not just the Galatian church, but us as well. He calls the second mindset a canon or a rule. And he says that those who are in sync with this rule receive God's mercy and enjoy God's peace. Now, suppose I had the power to hold out to you two hands of your choosing, just like in that picture. In one hand is the mercy of God to forgive all your sins and the peace of God for your everlasting enjoyment. In the other hand was every desirable thing that this world could offer you. Money, leisure, health, popularity, power, but no mercy from God and no final peace with Him. Which one would you want? Jesus said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Only in the grip of a great satanic delusion do people choose the world over the mercy and peace of God. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would break that delusion and help us feel the utter foolishness and desire of the desiring of the pleasures of this world that is only for a season, the Bible says. A pleasure that happens, uh, a pleasure that, that happens at the expense this morning of God's mercy and the beauty of God's peace. And so verse 16 becomes a big freeway sign that tells us how to leave the road of foolishness and get on the road of God's mercy and peace and stay on it. It says, Peace and mercy be upon you, all who walk by this rule upon the Israel of God. God's mercy and peace belong to those whose lives follow a certain rule. And since only the foolish, only a foolish delusion this morning keeps us from wanting God's mercy and peace, therefore we should be very eager to know what this rule is. In verse 11, Paul seems to take the pen from his secretary and finish the letter with his own big distinctive writing as he says, See what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. And then with the pen in his hand, Paul describes the two mindsets that have been at war throughout his letter. The first one is evil. The second one is good. The second one is the rule that we should follow. So let's look at them in that order. The evil mindset is described in verses 12 and 13. Let's have a look at that. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the, even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. Well, here it is for the last time the mindset of legalism is discussed by Paul. Uh, a person who uses the law as a vehicle of pride. Such a person, Paul says, is a legalist. 
Paul takes the issue of circumcision and uses that as an example and asks, do the Gentile believers have to be circumcised to enjoy full acceptance with God? And Paul says, no, no. And he suffered for that. He suffered persecution for that. The Judaizers and the legalists said yes. But what is the motive behind this demand? So let's compare the end of verse 12 and the end of verse 13. It says, They compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And in the end of verse 13 it says, They want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. So the motive was twofold. The fear of human opposition and the love of human praise. Why are these things, these two things, so dangerous? Because if your mindset is governed by the fear of being rejected and the love of being praised, it is impossible to embrace a crucified Christ. It is impossible to embrace Christ crucified in your life. Legalists have to submit to their own morality for the cross of Christ because the cross puts an end to all pride, the Bible says, and lays us open to persecution. But according to these two verses, the uh, exclusively moral person wants to avoid that persecution. Such a person is proud of their own ethics. And so, in their pride, they reject the cross. The cross of Christ is a great stumbling block for people who do not have the grace to humble themselves before God and before man. Firstly, before God, the effect of Christ crucified is to strip us naked of all merit and reveal our utter dependence on God's mercy. The love of God comes to us through Christ crucified so that we can see what our sin really deserved. And that's what, we, that's what we give thanks for every Sunday when we come and we celebrate at this table. Jesus died in our place. That's what Christ crucified means. So that we can come and see through Christ crucified at this table what our sin really deserved. It deserved the life of our Saviour. Christ died in our place. It's, the moral, it's morally impossible this morning to be proud at the foot of the cross. And so for those who don't want to humble themselves before God, the cross remains an offence and it's a scandal. But there's another reason legalists reject the cross. And it's not only that it humble us, humbles us before God, but it humbles us before people. Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any one of you want to be, one, want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself, and you must take up your cross and follow me. You can't cherish the Christ of Calvary this morning without joining him on the Calvary Road. But the Calvary Road is where people jeer. The Calvary Road this morning is where people spit and laugh. Therefore, no one who is enslaved uh, to the praise of men will join Christ on the Calvary Road. 
Over the years, I have met so many people like these Judaizers who, who say, in effect, I cannot take my stand with the crucified Christ because I'm afraid of what people will say and what people will do. So we can say this at least. If the message of Galatians has begun to bear fruit amongst us, then the first mindset of legalism that uses morality as a vehicle of pride and fears human rejection and craves human praise, that mindset must be on the way. But now let's have a look at the alternative mindset in verses 14 and 15, which Paul aims to have in himself and also to teach others. Remember verse 16 said that God's peace and mercy belongs to people who live by this rule. The rule is the mindset from verses 14 and 15. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. It's a very, very important phrase. A new creation is everything. What is this new creation that counts for everything? The new creation is what exists when the old mindset is crucified with Christ. Paul speaks in Galatians 2, uh, 20, uh, of being crucified with Christ. Yet somehow he lives so that he that lives must be new, a new creation, raised as it were from the dead. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life of which now I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In John 3, 3, Jesus talks about this same new birth, this new life, being born again. In Romans 6, 4, Paul refers to it as the newness of life. There are some parallels that help us to see this new life or this new creation. Uh, and we can see the closest uh, parallel is in Galatians 5, 6, where it says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. And let's have a look also in Galatians 6, 15, where it says, For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. So the, the new Paul, who was crucified, who was created, sorry, was the old Paul who was crucified with Christ. Is, he is now a Paul who lives by faith, which works through love. This was confirmed back in second in Galatians 2.20 where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in faith, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God. So in a sense, Paul doesn't live anymore. Christ lives through him. But he does live. And the new Paul is the Paul who depends so much on Christ day by day, that it is as through Christ 
were doing his living through Paul. So the new creation of Galatians 6.15 is the mindset of utter reliance on Christ day by day. Or we could say that the new creation is the power of Christ's life unleashed in us when we lean on him. But notice in verse 14 that Paul's last effort in this letter to describe the mindset of the new creation does not mention faith. It mentions boasting or glorifying. He says, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the history of the Christian church is marred by groups who have ripped the heart out of faith by making it dry and making it a formal intellectual assent to a certain set of truth. Paul prevents us from doing that by the way he ends this letter to us. The mindset of the new creation does not just agree with Christ died for sinners, which it does. It agrees that Christ died for sinners. But the thing is, it boasts in the cross. It boasts in the cross. It glories in the wonder of the cross. It cherishes the benefits of the cross. The cross is the pride and joy of the new creation. It's the gift you show off first when your friends come over at Christmas and want to see your presents. Remember that when you were kids? Nana comes over and who comes running up with the best gift? That's what Paul is saying. This is the gift that you show first. The boasting of the cross. Paul has a double way of showing what he means to boast only in the cross. In verse 14, he says, By the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, since I met Christ, the world has come to look like a, a despised, worthless, cursed thing. When I... When a, when a thing is crucified, it is rejected and scorned. And that's what became of the world when Paul met Christ. He says in, first, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as lost, I count everything as crucified, for the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul was so swallowed up by the love of Christ that the benefits of the world look like, to him, look like a cold and grey crucified corpse. But he says another thing, and he says it another way as well. He says, I am crucified to the world. And when the world looks at me, it sees nothing very attractive. I am like a corpse as far as the world is concerned. Look how Paul describes his ministry in verse, 2 Corinthians, sorry, verse 6. Chapter 6, sorry, verses 8 to 9, he says, We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed. So as far as the world is concerned, a life devoted to a crucified Christ is a, a throwaway life. That's exactly what my father said to me when I told him I was seeking ordination many years ago. He said, son, you're throwing away your life. 
Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, We have become and are now the refuge of the world, the offscouring of all things. So another way of saying that the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world is to say that the world has become refuge to me and I have become refuge to the world. But don't miss the main point in all of this. The only reason Paul mentions his rejection of the world and the world's rejection of him is to heighten the value of Christ crucified. That's why he does it. He's not having a pity party. He's not having a sook. He's heightening the, the, the value of Christ crucified. Paul was ravished by the love of Christ. He was utterly mastered by the love of Christ. He was held captive by one great scene in history, a cross on Golgotha, and on it was the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him, and for us as well. When Paul said in verse 16, Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule. The rule is the mindset described in verses 14 and 15 in contrast to the mindset that's described in verses 12 to 13. So let's consider by laying out one by one the contrasts. Let's call one... Let's, let, let's call one... Uh, the mindset of self-promotion, and let's call the other the mindset of Christ-promotion. So the first one. The self-promoter this morning desires to make a good show in religious rituals. Paul says that it is those who want to make a good show in the flesh. Such people um, crave the applause of key people. But Christ promoters regard the pleasure of human applause as a pile of garbage compared to the pleasure of knowing Christ. So they are not people pleasers. Secondly, self-promoters fear persecution and the rejection of people more than they cherish the cross of Christ. And Christ promoters expect and, and, and accept persecution from a world, a, a world that actually crucified Christ. In fact, uh, they say with Paul, for the sake of Christ then, I am, com I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Christ exalters. Don't fear people. Christ promoters. Do not fear people. Christ is their refuge. Christ is their shield. Christ is their great reward. Thirdly, Self-promoters regard outward forms as the essence of religious life. But cross-promoters regard an inner new creation as the essence of religious life. Self-promoters can manage to clean up the outside while leaving the root of pride untouched in the, in the core of their life. And so, religious, so religion and morality are used as outlets for their uncrucified self-reliance. But Christ promoters know that for Christ to be king, they must die. And a brand new creation of modesty and Christ's reliance must be replaced with pride and self-reliance. And fourthly and finally, self-promoters remove stumbling block, remove the stumbling block of the cross by ignoring 
or despising its implications. Self-promoters have to avoid the cross because the splinters of that old rugged cross always pop the balloon of self-promotion. But cross-promoters glory in the cross and they cherish that above all things. Now, none of us will be saved because we are perfect. None of us will be saved because we are perfect or because of anything that we do to earn God's approval. That's just how it is. The peace of God and the mercy of God are free gifts purchased on the cross of Calvary for all who walk by this rule, the rule of Christ's promotion, not self-promotion. That's what we celebrate at this table every Sunday. So right standing with God is not earned by works. It's given freely to those who boast in the work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, I urge all of us here to come to the cross. And if you are there, I urge you to glory only in the cross of Christ. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you that Christ crucified is the basis of all our prayers, the assurance of all God's love, the certainty of all and full forgiveness this morning and the grounds of all of our hope. And the fountain of midnight peace and morning mercies that are there forever and ever. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.